All right, here we go. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16 says this, Therefore I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. And that's good news for some of us this morning. That we need to know that Jesus is in everything that's going on in our lives. He's above it, he's in it, he's working through it, all right? Now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. For it says when he ascended on high, he took the captives captive and he gave gifts to people. But what does he ascended mean except that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? This is Paul talking about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. The one who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens to fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith, in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then... We will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning and cleverness and the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. Today, as we continue on in our series, Citizens and Saints, I want to speak to you from the subject, the Vitruvian Church, as we deal with the issue of unity in Christ. Will you pray with me just one more time this morning? Jesus, we love you. We worship you. We thank you for your word. I thank you that every single one of us has come here today to encounter you, to experience you, to know you more. And so because of that, our hearts are soft, our ears are open and ready for you to speak to us. So would you teach us right now? Would you challenge us right now? Would you cause us to, to grow right now, God? We need your word. It's so important for our lives. And so I pray that you would move me out of the way, that these would be your words that we hear this morning. In Jesus' mighty name, come on, and everybody shouted, amen. The Vitruvian Church, I'm going to throw a, a picture up on the, uh, the screen behind me here. How many of you have seen this, this picture before? Many of us have. This is, this is Leonardo da Vinci's The Vitruvian Man. And uh, it was around the year 1487 that he would draw this. Accompanied with the drawing would be some kind of instructions or words talking about the reality of this drawing. Now, this drawing has, has been involved with mathematics and architecture. And many of you maybe who are art students in here, you'll at one point or another talk about this. And, and I want to read this to you, um, this kind of excerpt from a book about this drawing. The drawing, which is in pen and ink on paper depicts a male figure who is superimposed positions with his arms and legs apart and simultaneously inscribed in a circle and square. The drawing and text are sometimes called the canon of proportions, or less often, proportions of man. It is stored in Venice, Italy, and like most works on paper, it is displayed only occasionally. The proportional relationship of the parts reflects universal design. And a medical equilibrium of elements ensures a stable structure. This image provides the perfect example of Leonardo's keen interest in proportion. 
Encyclopedia Britannica states this, Leonardo imagined the great picture chart of the human body he had produced through an anatomical drawings and the Vestruvian man as a cosmography of the microcosm. He believed, I know a lot of big words here, but listen, I'll, I'll go somewhere with this in just a minute. He believed the workings of the human body to be analogy for the workings of the universe. Leonardo da Vinci's drawing of the Vitruvian Man is one of the most popular world icons. There have been countless attempts over the years to understand the composition of Leonardo's illustration of Vitruvius principles. So what he's doing is he's using this to kind of create, like we said, this canon of proportions. How things work together. Paul, the apostle who's writing Ephesians, in chapter 4, verses 1 through 16 gives us what I believe to be, and what many theologians and scholars believe to be, the Vitruvian church. How the church is supposed to work together. How it's supposed to fit together. The proportions that are supposed to be involved. More importantly, the church not being the four walls, the ceiling, the stuff, and the things, but the church being you and I, and how we are supposed to work together. And it's important that we understand this. Because he seeks, Paul seeks to deal with the proportional relationship of parts. Come on, somebody that's been unified in Christ. But the problem was the problem that we face a lot, and we talked about two weeks ago, division. Paul submits to us that unity should be the default position of Christ's provision. Division, on the other hand, is the breakdown caused by lack of humility, meekness, and patience. And this is why Paul addresses in this first part of chapter 4 all of these graces. We're going to talk about that in a minute. The Bible exposition commentary says this concerning Ephesians 4. And i got to lay some groundwork before we get to the practical part, so just lean in with me, all right? The main idea in these first 16 verses is the unity of believers in Christ. This is simply the practical application of the doctrine taught in the first half of the letter. We've been talking about that these past few weeks. God is building a body, a temple, a community. He has reconciled us to himself in Christ. The oneness of believers in Christ is already a spiritual reality. Our responsibility is to guard, protect, and preserve that unity. Come on, everybody turn to your neighbor this morning and say we're talking about unity. Talking about unity. In other words, we've been given the tools for unity. We just now have to use those tools. Unity is such an important reality in the Bible and something that Jesus was especially concerned about. Listen to John 17, verse 11. It says this, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by your name that you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. Bible exposition commentary would go on to say this, Christians are not to live in isolation, for after all, they are members of the same body. Unity is the term that encapsulates Jesus' desire for the church that he said that he would build. The preservation of unity is not found in uniformity, but rather in the name of Jesus. And I want us to hear this this morning because so many times when we talk about unity, we have a tendency to think about uniformity. Uniformity and unity are two very different realities. Uniformity is about same look, same feel, same sight line on everything, but unity is completely different. Why? Because unity is only possible where there's diversity. Uniformity doesn't allow for diversity. 
And so often we try to create churches, communities that are, that are uniform in nature, and they actually rage against unity. But God is saying, Paul is saying, look, if we're going to be unified, we got to understand, we're not looking for uniformity, we're looking for diversity. All of these different parts coming together to build this beautiful tapestry called the church. It's unity. And unity and mission go hand in hand. Gospel fluency It's dependent upon relational and corporate unity. And the issue of unity is something that we need to understand and more importantly see the role that we we play in it because we've wrongly defined it. So I want to draw us back to this place of unity. Come on, Rashad, unity this morning? Unity. And we play a role in it, every single one of us. If you're here for the first time this morning, you play a role in it. If you've been here a thousand times, you play a role in it. Why? Because you are called to be a part of this thing. This beautiful disaster called the church. Come on, how many of you know what I'm talking about? (laughs) So what I want to do is I want to take a look. This is where Paul then launches into some thoughts concerning unity. He gives us four things that we need to understand about unity in order to practice them. And that's where I need your help this morning. So come on, every shot number one. Number the first thing is this. Unity is supplied by grace. Unity is supplied by grace, all right? He says this, therefore, verse Verses 1 to 3, therefore I, a prisoner in the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling you've received with all humility, gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Now listen, when I say that it's supplied by grace, we have to define some things here. Many of us have heard the term grace before. The Bible indicates two types of grace in Scripture. The first one is this, is that we are saved by what? Grace. We're saved by grace. That we didn't earn it, we can't buy it, we can't get it, it's from Jesus. Alright, so that is grace that, that offers salvation to us. But there's a different type of grace in the Bible as well. And it's, the, it's grace that means power from God. Equipping from God. We say it in terms like this, if you see a beautiful dancer, you'd say, oh, they're so what? Graceful. You're not talking about salvation or anything like that. You're talking about this, this thing that they have that they do so well in, right? If I were to dance for you right now, you would say, he's not graceful, right, <laughs> at all. You'd be like, that looks like legalism, right? <laughs> and this is what Paul is talking about. He's saying, look, there's some, there's some graces that we have to operate in, and unity is supplied to us through these graces. So he says, listen, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. This word is forbearance. Making every effort, actionable process to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. How many of you think that sounds like some pretty good stuff right there? All right. The exposition commentary says it like this. We realize that as members of one body and a local body, we belong to each other, we affect each other, and we need each other. But we've succumbed to a belief that we don't need each other, and we don't affect each other, and that is the farthest thing from the truth. We've bought into this idea because our experience of each other many times is negative at best. So we don't practice humility and gentleness. Patience is nowhere to be seen, and we can't comprehend what it would look like to bear with one another. To give diligent practice to this in order to keep a bond of peace is the very thing that is missing so many times in our lives, in our homes, and in our churches. we got to practice grace. Think about that. Unity is built on these, these graces. And we need to practice them. 
Because come on, how many of you have walked in here sometimes and you see that person and you're like, oh Lord Jesus, give me some patience. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? You walked in here like, oh, that person needs to practice some humility. <laughs> All these different things. When we operate, and the funny thing is, is they sound very close to Galatians chapter 5, verses 23 through 23, when it says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And the law is not against such things. But we don't practice them in our own power. Because how many of you know, come on, show hands, like therapeutic moment. How many of you know patience is hard? Right? I'm an impatient person. Like, let me just confess before you today. I am an impatient person. Our home, like our last name is impatience, all right? Our home, we, we struggle with this reality. I'm not patient. Erica's not patient. My kids aren't patient. But then our third child, we're starting to hope, like in Jesus' name, that she's the most patient one and balancing us all out, Right? We need at least one, but we're not patient, so we got to work on it so that, that in this grace, in this empowerment from God, hopefully our family can, can function well together, right? We took a personality test a little while ago with a guest speaker who was in here, and, uh, and uh, we got the, uh, like the, the answers back from the personality test, and this is literally, he called me up when he got our test, test uh, scores, and, he, and the first thing he said when he got on the phone, he's like, how are you guys still married? That was, that was his first comment. Why? Because this, we struggle with this stuff. And the interesting thing is, is that we as a church, all right, the, the, this global thing, this beautiful disaster called the church, we struggle with this stuff, don't we? We're not patient with each other. We're not humble with each other. We're not meek with each other. What would happen if we started to operate in those graces, right? The church will never be perfect. Why? Because you're all involved in it. <laughs> the church will never be perfect, but come on somebody, it can be intentional. And I think many times we tend to use the never be perfect line to justify apathy in these areas. And I believe intentionality alone could take us so much further than we are currently at. Like it's that line, right? With all due respect, and then I get to be a jerk. Right? Have you, hey, just with all due respect, and then you get to say whatever you want. No, 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 no. We use that as excuses sometimes. And I think sometimes we can say, oh, well, the church is never going to be perfect, so I can keep on doing things that slight relationship. But the bottom line is, is that we may not be perfect, but oh, boy, we can be intentional about being humble with each other, patient with each other, bearing with one another. That's a, that's, that's a work of art. Bearing with one another. And if we can do, this is the mark of grace upon our church. We can have unity like never before. To do this will require us to live like never before. Be committed to living bigger, believing bigger, and operating bigger than we ever have before. So the first thing that we need to understand about unity is that unity is supplied by grace. Come on, every shot number two. Unity stands on a foundation. Unity stands on a foundation. These are what we call essential truths. Essential truths. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6 says this. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. It is here that Paul asserts a very significant point for us to understand. That unity stands upon 
a foundation. This foundation being the unchanging truths of the gospel. Did you hear that this morning? The unchanging truths of the gospel. When he tells us just a few verses later why this is so important, watch what he says. Verse 14, then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning, with cleverness and the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. Listen, we all need to understand this. There are unchanging foundational truths of the gospel. Right? On Friday, I was standing in my backyard with my son, Justice, and I was talking to our neighbor, Noel. Noel's lived in the house behind us for 35 years. He's an older gentleman, and we were just having a great conversation, and he, he knows that we're in ministry and pastors, so he was asking me some questions about that. And, uh, and so I had my boy with me, and he was hanging out, and he was like standing there like listening for about four and a half seconds. <laughs> and then you know how kids go, they check out, right? And he did the check out, and all of a sudden he's climbing trees and climbing the fence, and I think at one point he was climbing on Noel, and so... I was, I was trying to like have the conversation and then mitigate every, the crazy that was happening over here. And so I was talking with Noel and I, we were getting into this conversation. And I looked down and all of a sudden Justice was gone. He disappeared. And at first I thought he had gone in the house. He had gone back inside. And then I look up. Noel's got a gigantic piece of property. And as I look up, Justice is hightailing it down Noel's grass. He is just booking it. Down this driveway, grass on the side, and he's just running at full pace. And if you've seen my son's hair, it's a little crazy right now, but it's like flying in the wind, and he's just, I mean, like booking it, right? And, and chariots of fire is on in the background, and it's like he's going for it. And so I start yelling. I'm like, hey, Justice, stop! And he's like waves at me, right? <laughs> And I'm, I'm yelling, I'm like, dude, stop, that's not your property. And, and, and I'm, I'm trying to yell all these instructions. I've told him you're not allowed to go on Noel's property unless he, he gives you, like, permission. So I'm like, get back here, get back here, stop. And he's like, just like, I'm like, he's not listening to me. And what he was running for was these geese that were down at the end. And all he saw was the geese. So Noel leans over to me. He's like, don't worry, they'll attack him. It's like, no, you sly. <laughs> and no joke, as Justice was running up, you watched them in their big Canadian geese, right? Their heads were down, and all of a sudden, boom, boom. <laughs> and Justice go, stops. And I just went, <laughs> Noel's awesome. <laughs> right? So he, like, he comes backing up, and he's like, and, he, and, he's, and then he turns around, and he comes, he comes running back. And the funny thing that I've learned is that we still do that with God, right? It's like God said some things to us. He's given us some truths that we should anchor our lives upon, but we keep running in the direction that we want to run in. We keep going for the thing that, that we want to go for. And he's yelling in the background, hey, hey, because what's happening is he knows the danger that we're running into when we give up on the foundational truths that he's produced for us. And he's trying to call us back. And Paul's saying right here, listen, there's a foundation that unity is built upon. And these are foundational truths that we need to understand. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all and he's in all and above all and through all he is good he is awesome he is mighty he is praiseworthy he is God and this is so important for us to understand so that we are not tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind 
of teaching by human cunning with cleverness and the techniques of, of deceit. How many of you know that, that eating right and working out produces a healthy body? Like four of us know that. <laughs> no one raised their hand. <laughs> I just, I, let me switch the message up today. Um, <laughs> we know that in theory, it's tried, it's proven. If we eat right, we work out, we have a healthy body. But how many of you wish that you could sit on the couch and get the ab stimulator and the same thing work? Everybody's hand goes up. <laughs> but come on, somebody. there's some unchanging truths here. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. And it's the same thing. That's what Paul wants us to understand. That there is, there, there is a process for health. And while may, it may be sometimes difficult to assimilate to, it's what makes us healthy, tried and true. The same thing. They are unchanging truths. The Bible Exposition Commentary states this, and I think it's something that we need to hear this morning. It has well been said that truth without love is brutality, but love without truth is hypocrisy. So here's the thing. Paul is dealing with, much like today, essential truths being abandoned and are muddied as culture, society, politics, money, and progression became a standard part of everyday life for these Ephesian Christ followers. And this is the tension that we still face today, standing in the unchanging truths of God in the midst of all of that, right? The Bible, yet living in and loving the world that we are part of every day. This is a struggle that so many of us have with faith, and I get it, right? Because here's the world that we live in, but here's the faith that I live in. And how many of you feel like this in the world sometimes? And we're just like, man, this is so complicated. This is so difficult sometimes because I, I live in this world and I want to love the people in this world, but I have this faith. And sometimes I have a really hard time reconciling my faith with the world that I live in. And Jesus is helping us see, listen, the unchanging truths that we stand upon actually enable us to love the world the way we've been called to love. That's why he says speaking the truth in in love. The problem is that when we find ourselves giving up one for the other, come on, we've done this before, right? When we say statements like, we just need to give people the truth. How many of us have heard that before, right? We just need, we just need to speak truth, just keep on speaking truth. But then there's the other side where it's like, we just need to love everyone. When did they become mutually exclusive? Come on, church, can we, can, we, can we push the envelope a little? When did they become, when did love and truth become mutually exclusive? All right? Listen to John chapter 1, verse 14, when it says this. It has well been said, excuse me, um, the word became flesh. This is John writing. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as, as the one and only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. I love my kids. But how many of you know I speak truth to them, too? And this is a hard thing for us to reconcile, to process through sometimes. I, I get that. But I'm telling you, unity is produced on these things. Why? Because unity stands on a foundation. When we remove the foundation, it gets all kinds of wobbly. 
And so when we talk this way, this is one of those weekends. It's not a donut weekend, carbohydrate weekend, but it's not a meat and potatoes weekend either. This is what I call an equipping weekend. We're going to do some reps in here today. Because we got to understand some stuff. we got to work off the donuts and the meat, all right? We've got to do some reps right now. And this is what we need to understand, is that our lives, our churches are built upon a foundation. Come on, somebody. And that foundation is the unchanging truths of the gospel. The unchanging truths of the gospel. Number three, every shot, number three. Unity, Unity is supported by gifts. <clears throat> Unity is supported by gifts. This is Paul saying that everyone matters and everyone fits. Show of hands, how many of you like puzzles? Wow, are you kidding me? This is awesome. Because I hate puzzles. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. So Erica, I don't know if it's like in a, like a moment of romance. She always gets a twinkle in her eye, right? She'll like walk in and I'll just be chilling and she'll be like, hey, do you want to do a puzzle? <laughs> And I'm like, no. <laughs> because there's no, there, to me, there's no point in, in doing puzzles. It is a lesson in futility, all right? I do not like puzzles. They frustrate me. I'm impatient. And I'm the one guy that can't move on until I find that one piece. You know what I'm saying? Like all the, every, I, you guys are probably good at puzzles because you're like, oh, I can do the corner and I can do the middle. And you have this hot mess of crazy in front of you. And I'm like, no, I need the corner piece. The cor that's all, I, just this one piece, find this one piece. And this is what Paul is saying, is that for so many years, generations, millennia, the church has operated looking for that one piece and we've neglected all the other ones. We've neglected all the other ones. And we've said that a certain select few, special people, come on somebody, special people get to do the work of the ministry. But I want to flip that on its head today. Because Paul's actually not saying that. He's saying that every single one of us make this puzzle. Every single one of us play a role. Now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. For it says when he ascended on high, he took the captives captive, he gave gifts to people. But what does he ascended mean except that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? The one who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens to fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Now you may read that and you go, see, there it is. He gave some, only a few. That's actually not what he's talking about. The portion is defined differently. The portion is to all. Some are this. Some are that. Some are this. Some are that. And what does that mean for you and I? That every single one of us is called, chosen, handpicked, destined, and designed by God to play a part in his redemptive purpose. His redemptive purpose. You've got to get in the game, baby. One author wrote this, gifts are not toys to be played with, they are tools to build with, and if they are not used in love, they become weapons to fight with, which is so often what happens in the church. God gifted the church, the body of believers, with gifted people, and it's not a small, specialized, and called out group of individuals. God has a fit for every single one of us. And these gifts were given. Then he clarifies. He says they were given for the equipping of the saints. 
The, I'm getting excited right now. Okay, so the equipping of the saints. <laughs> Justin's called, right? Everybody knows that. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah, he's, he's awesome and talented and everything like that. I couldn't possibly be that wrong. You are called just as much as he is. And this guy, and this girl, and this girl, and this guy right here. But we have a gap. So I want you to think of these guys as a net, right? Come here. She's going to sit right here. Kirsten, hold on before you sit. Kirsten can sit isolated over here. She could be like, I, I, don't, I don't matter in this whole thing because I got stuff going on in my life and, and I'm a bit dysfunctional and I play the guitar and so, <laughs> right? So she can sit alone over here and feel like, oh man, I don't, I don't have a part of this. And what Paul is saying is, listen, that every single one of these things were given, every single one of us were given to the body. Why? For the equipping of the saints so that we could do what God's called us to do. And this word equipping that Paul uses is to highlight something that many of us would understand and know. And it's a net. It literally, it literally transposes as seeing a net with a hole in it. And so Paul is saying when we are all in our place... There's no longer a hole in the net. Notice what Jesus said. He says, and I will make you what? Fishers of men. How many of you know that we need nets without holes in them in order to do what God has called us to do? And so what we're talking about here is that every single one, look around, look at your neighbor next to you. Every single one of us, every single one of you, whether you believe it or not, that's the thing. I don't believe that. Well, you should. You should. You can look at your past, okay. You can look at what's said over you, fine. But then there's one who is above all, in all, working through all, saying something very different about who you are, saying something very different about what you have in you. And you need to understand, from the littlest kids in the back, to our teens, to our young adults, to our young professionals, to our middle-aged people, to the oldest of you in here, you ain't done yet. We need you to complete the net so that we can do everything that God has called us to do. So there are gifts that's been given to the church. And it's you. You're the gift. Not me. Just because I stand behind this thing doesn't make me any more important than you. I'm going to double down on this right now. This is why we are a relational church, not a program-given church. Programs are run by specialists. Relational incubators are run by people who do life together. And that changes the dynamic of the church. Because for so long, we've been preaching program-based Christianity instead of relationship-based faith in Jesus. Come on, church, this is the gospel. Preservation of unity happens through the diversity of the body. Spiritual gift is a tool given to worship God as well as serve, build, and encourage others. Number four. And the last one is this. Unity is secured by alignment. Unity is secured by alignment. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head Christ. Christ. From him, watch what happens, from him the whole body, 
<clears throat> fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. There it is. You all matter. But alignment is important. And alignment comes with Christ at the head. Not Jason at the head, Christ at the head. Last year about this time, <clears throat> I was training for a weightlifting competition. And that I was gonna do at this thing called FitCon. And I, I got into it pretty hardcore. Like I was training five days a week and I was getting really strong. I was I was super pumped about this. <clears throat> journey that I was on and uh, a little while into my programming I started to get this ache and this pain that was on the ins like up in my shoulder blade and at first like any typical dude I didn't think anything of it right I was just like ah I complained like crazy to my wife but then went back and did what I was always doing to injure myself some more and so I just wanted her sympathy but she doesn't give sympathy so um so I had, this, <laughs> I had this pain, and it kept on growing and growing and growing. And so one day, the two lifts that I was practicing for for this competition were called a snatch and a clean and jerk. And what you do is you just get weight to here, and then you get it above your head, or you snatch, and you look funky doing it and everything like that. So my snatch, getting weight above my head, every single time I would get really, really heavy, the shoulder would buckle. I couldn't, I couldn't hold weight. I couldn't bear weight, and it was painful. It hurt really, really bad. So I went to my coach, and I said, hey, got this thing going on. I cannot put the same weight over my head. Like, what is going on? So he, he was looking at it. He was like trying to massage it a little bit. He's like, well, let's work on some stretching. So I'd stretch and same thing. So he says, man, I need to hook you up with somebody. And I said, okay. He's like, I'm going to hook you up with this sports therapist. Now I need you to know something. A sports therapist and a masseuse are two very different things. Okay. Masseuses, that's even the term. They're nice and gentle. Sports therapists are the devil. Okay? So this guy comes in, and we're at, we're at, the, uh, we're at my gym, and he pulls out his table in the whole nine yards, and he's like, all right, take your shirt off and, and get on the table. I was like, cool down, bro. <laughs> so I took my shirt off, and I get up on this table, and the dude hops on top of me. Like, got on my back. And I was like, this is a new relationship for me right now. And so, so he's, he's, on, he's on me, and he's starting to, like, press. And he, like, got right into it. He has elbow in me, and he's like, where's the pain? And I was like, well, it's underneath the shoulder blade and everything like that. He's like, okay. So he pulls my arm back, and he takes his hand, and he jabs his hand underneath my shoulder blade, like, underneath it. And then he starts digging, like, and you could hear. It was like... I want you to get this picture. He's digging him. I, I want you to hear that, all right? <laughs> and I can hear it. And I'm like, I'm cringing. And I've got my shirt off. And this dude on top of me laying into me. And he whispers then in my ear. <laughs> now, just a word of advice. There's a dude on top of you and you have your shirt off and he whispers in your ear. You buck him off. I'm just saying. Like, just get him off of you. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, he, he literally whispers in my ear. He goes, hey, there's a lot out of alignment in there. And he's just jabbing in there. I went through three of these with him. 
by the third one, everything changed. Like I felt like I was like, oh my gosh, I'm a new man. Like this was unbelievable. All of a sudden I started putting weight up and it was this awesome moment. And the funny thing is, is that so many of us, individually and corporately, live out of alignment with Jesus. And there's pain, there's twinges. We, we don't understand why things aren't working. And Paul's saying, listen, unity is secured by alignment. When everything is aligned, when everything is back into its place, which he got like he fixed everything, he got everything back into, when it's all back into its place, all of a sudden things start working the way that they're supposed to be working. Here's my question for us. As you look over the generations of church, is it possible that Jesus hasn't been in his proper place Maybe that's why things haven't worked the way they should be working. Because my call to us this weekend is this. Let's put Jesus back in his place. Let's make him the head. Let's put him at the top. Because when he's there, when he's in his spot, when he's in his place, oh, that's when it all works. The body does what the body is supposed to do. It loves one another perseveres with one another. It bears one another's burdens. It reaches out to the community beyond the four walls of this thing. It builds houses in Mexico. It builds redemption homes in Salt Lake City, Utah. It plants new communities to reach more people for Jesus. It stretches itself out in ways that the world never thought possible to reach people in ways that the, ne- that the world never thought possible. Come on, somebody. When Jesus is the head, everything falls into a Come on, can we give Jesus his praise today? Come on, we put our hands together for Jesus.